Hi, I'm Rachel Monteleone and welcome to Kittypedia, the podcast. I'm not an expert. However, I do speak with them with the view of providing you with expert information and advice to help you be the best parent that you can be. Together, let's give children the life they deserve and a positive future. Hello and welcome. Well, long gone are those days of pregnancy being a condition that puts women on bed rest for nine months. Just because a woman is pregnant doesn't mean that she has to stop physical activity. If anything, there's a number of health benefits associated with exercise during pregnancy. Now, these include reduced backaches, constipation, bloating and swelling. Of course, as we all know, exercise can help boost our mood and energy levels. Of course, it can help you uh, sleep better. And exercising, of course, can also prevent excess weight gain, um, along with other things like promoting strength and muscle tone. Um, now, for a long time, however, exercise during pregnancy has been a controversial topic and a confusing topic in recent years. So to help clarify why this is so and how you can best monitor healthy levels of exercise during pregnancy, we welcome our special guest, Rachel Simpson. A little bit about our guest. Rachel is a women's health educator, a physiotherapist, uh, nutritionist and health coach and natural fertility educator. Now, Rachel's obsession is teaching women how to take control of their health as she teaches women all the things that we never learnt in life and in class at school, that being periods, pregnancy and pelvic floor. Thanks for joining us, Rach. How are you doing? I'm well. Thank you so much for having me. Yeah, and welcome back. Now, just before we get into all the questions that I just want to ask you about this topic, firstly, of course, we published your article and the title is How to Monitor the Intensity of Your Pregnancy Workouts um, Without Tracking Your Heart Rate, which sounds fascinating. Now, for someone who hasn't read the article yet, can you please tell us what it's about and, of course, what inspired you to write it? Yeah, well, I think that so many women are really confused about how to exercise safely during their pregnancy. So a lot of women um, feel, so a lot of women these days as well are very active previous to falling pregnant and they don't want to give that up during the nine months of pregnancy because it's something that they really enjoy and nor should they give that up. And I think there's a lot of confusion because everyone seems to have really conflicting opinions about what is safe and what is not safe. And it seems like a lot of people are afraid to give their advice because they don't, you know, they don't want to cause an injury or cause a problem. And so everyone sort of tends to err on the side of caution and say, oh, just take it easy. But women who are in that situation who are currently pregnant and wanting to exercise, they're wanting more information than just take it easy. They want to know specifics about what they can do, what they can't do, what's safe for them and their baby. So I guess that's why I was inspired to write the article about this. And there's some guidelines that have been in place and constantly updated for the last 20, 30 years. But unfortunately, Mm. some people are still living by the guidelines that were popular in the 90s. And, you know, I was born in 1990. So these guidelines are as old as I am. And they've they've been updated. And a lot of women are still relying on these old guidelines. So I really wanted to just make it clear about some of the things you can do that are a little bit easier in terms of monitoring the intensity of your workouts and knowing that you're being safe. Okay. Well, let's get stuck straight into this. Now, why has exercise during pregnancy been such a controversial and confusing topic in recent years then, as you were just alluding to. 
Yeah, so I think that it's, as I said, it's causing so much confusion because I think that no one really wants to give a definitive answer. And when it comes to pregnancy, there's no one-size-fits-all approach. And I think that causes a lot more confusion because everyone has a different pregnancy, everyone has a different experience and feels differently and has different symptoms throughout the nine months. And so some women are better able to tolerate the exercise than others. And so, you know, doctors, family, friends, personal trainers, everyone seems to have their own opinion. And the research and recommendations for safe exercise, as I said, are sort of constantly changing. And so it leads to a lot of confusion. So it wasn't long ago that women were told not to exercise at all during pregnancy. And then, you know, 20 years ago or so, women were told that they can exercise, but that they really should be monitoring their heart rate and keeping their heart rate below 140 beats per minute and don't let it get above 140 beats per minute. But these days, women are sort of just being told to go for it and exercise and do what you feel. And obviously, it's causing a lot of confusion. Um, And so the previous exercise guidelines that I talked about in this article that were released by the American College of Obstetrics and Gynecology, so we call them ACOG, and these guidelines are sort of considered the global recommendations for safe exercise during pregnancy. So previous guidelines that were really popular in the 90s recommended that pregnant women keep their heart rate, as I said, below that 140 beats per minute when exercising. But a lot has changed since the 90s. As as I said, that's 30 years ago. So... Mm. Research has discovered that the heart rate response, like everything else in the woman's body during pregnancy, it changes from woman to woman. And so um, the last time last time I spoke with you, we talked a lot about the changes in the circulatory system um, mm-hmm. during pregnancy and how this changes quite early on in pregnancy to support the needs of mother and baby during pregnancy. And th- these, you know, these changes come in as early as four or five weeks of pregnancy. So it's really early and often before we even know we are pregnant. And the problem with the recommendations of the heart rate being keeping the heart rate below 140 beats per minute is that they're assuming that all pregnant women with their heart rate at 140 beats per minute are exerting exactly the same same amount of energy and effort during exercise. And if we use our common sense hats here, we know that that's not true. So we know that a set heart rate isn't appropriate for monitoring exercise intensity for all women, whether or not they're pregnant, because the appropriate workout intensity for you is going to depend on how physically fit you are during your pregnancy and how physically fit you were before you were pregnant. So if you're new to exercise, if you consider yourself maybe a little unfit and living quite a sedentary lifestyle, then exercising at 140 beats per minute might be too intense for you. That might be really a really hard workout. Whereas if you're an athlete, you're a really active person who's, you know, continuing to run during your pregnancy, 140 beats per minute might be an absolute breeze. And, you know, research now shows that women can reach up to you know 170 beats per minute um, with no negative effects. So obviously we can't look at the maximums just because ethical reasons we can't do research into those sorts of things. But the new recommendations are now using other things to monitor the exercise intensity during our workout. So not just looking at the numbers on our you know fitness tracker and watching the numbers. It's more about listening to what your body is telling you during your workouts. Okay. So why have the rules changed so often and so much over the last sort of 20 years then? Well, I think just more and more research comes out. And so, as I said, it's it's an area that women, we're, we're more looking into. And I think these days, especially with sort of the gym culture and the active culture that we have, women as a rule are probably exercising more in general than they were, you know, the, at the age when say my mum was pregnant with me, she, she wasn't going to the gym. She, but women these days, it's pretty common that we're going to the gym, we're participating in some sort of physical activity, which is great. And so I think that this threshold of 140 beats per minute, people are realising that this isn't, for some women, this isn't high enough intensity to really get the benefits of workout. And 
with everything, the more research that's done, that we have to change recommendations, we have to change guidelines because new evidence and new studies show different things to what we previously thought. And that's fantastic. We want to keep changing and adjusting to make sure that everyone's as safe as possible. And do you think for that reason, that's why so many women are confused about how to exercise safely during pregnancy then? Definitely. So I think it definitely, um, it changes things because who you're speaking to about safety during exercise, it's going to depend on what knowledge they have about the changes in these guidelines too. So if you're seeing a GP and trying to get the all clear from the GP about how to exercise safely during pregnancy, they might not even be aware of new guidelines that have come out. They might still be, you know, it depends on their age, it depends on their experience, all that sort of thing. But often they have, you know, it's not just GPs, it's other people as well, but they often have a set a set thing in their head of this is my recommendation for this. And unless you're in the know, unless you're actively looking at the research, it's it's hard to keep up. Yes. And as you just said, you know, that 20 years ago that women were told to exercise but to to monitor their heart rate. But now, of course, women are pretty much told to 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 go for it. And in that mm. respect, it's almost supported that they, they do exercise. And as I said earlier on about all of the health benefits. So no wonder that so many women are confused. Um, but if a woman was physically active before her pregnancy, the question is, you know, should she be able to continue her, her activity in moderation? Yes. So again, it will depend and it will depend on a lot of things. It'll depend on how you're feeling. And we would always recommend getting an all clear from whoever your medical practitioners are, whoever your care team is during your pregnancy, because there are some medical conditions that mean that exercise is a complete contraindication. For Mm -hmm. example, if you have an incompetent cervix or a shortened cervix and you're at risk of preterm labor, if you have any sort of bleeding, um, if you have any other sort of medical conditions that are going on there are there is sort of a really definitive list of um medical conditions and problems where you may not be able to exercise and so that's why it's really important to get your all clear from the doctor to know that you are definitely in a position with every pregnancy that you have um that this pregnancy you are safe to be able to exercise so again that adds to the confusion um but it is really important to be monitoring monitoring what is safe and what is not for you at this time because you know some people in their first trimester have horrendous morning sickness and the last thing they feel like doing is going for a walk or doing any sort of exercise so it's all about listening to your body and if you feel the need to exercise if you feel good about exercising and that's something that you want to do then definitely recommend getting that all clear first yeah and then once you get the all clear um I'm I'm guessing a woman should not try to exercise at her formal level if she is someone that has been actively exercising, doing classes previously, instead just to do what is most comfortable for her now. Um, And all in all, it seems like pregnancy is not the time to be trying something um, new or strenuous activity for the first time either. It's really about sort of understanding your body and knowing its capabilities and then knowing from that, you know, are you going to be working at 50% and and, and not raising? It's more about the internal body um, heat as well. Is that right? Yeah. So you don't want to overheat because overheating can cause problems for the baby. Um, You also don't want to become dehydrated. You obviously don't want to faint because that's, you know, a risk in itself. It's those sorts of things. And it's all about listening to your body. So for some women, they can continue at their pre-pregnancy fitness level, you know, for quite a long time. Like I hear of women who are still running at seven, eight months pregnant. And if your body's managing with that that's absolutely fine but something else to think about is obviously your pelvic floor as well and the weight on your pelvic floor um making sure you're not getting those symptoms of leaking and heaviness and things like that um Mm. at the same time so 
Oh, go. <laughs> yeah, so I was just going to say, so if a woman was physically active before her pregnancy, she should really be able to continue activity just in moderation. Um, yeah, so it's, it's all about listening to your body. So I'll talk, I'll talk a little bit about the Borg scale, which is the new recommendation for monitoring your exercise intensity, but the really simple one is the talk test. So if you are too out of breath to be able to maintain a conversation when you're exercising, you're probably working too hard. Um, and it's also things like sweating. So you're sweat, you tend to sweat earlier when you're pregnant than normal. And so if you're sweating, if you're puffing and shortness of breath, if you're red in the face, they're signs that your body's working too hard. So it's more about listening to your body and looking out for those signs where you're working too hard, because that's probably not appropriate during pregnancy. But say you're going for a run and you're, you know, a little bit breathless, but you're able to maintain a conversation. You're feeling pretty good. There's no reason why you can't. It's all about listening to your body and looking out for those signs that you are working too hard. So how does a woman's pre-pregnancy physical level affect the appropriate workout intensity that she should set her uh, target heart rate at then? Yeah, so maybe maybe this is a good time to talk about the new recommendation. So mm-hmm. in, I think it was 2002, ACOG brought out the most recent guidelines and they continue to review them and update them. In fact, they've, up, they've reviewed them earlier this year, but they have generally remained the same since then. And they talk about using the Borg scale to monitor your exercise intensity because this is a way of looking at intensity without needing to track your heart rate. So you might have heard of this before. It's also known as the Borg rating of perceived exertion. And so basically it allows you to monitor your exercise intensity and really think about how hard you're working. So basically there are numbers, there are numbers on this scale, but there are also descriptors. So there are things like working somewhat hard. It feels easy. It feels too hard. It feels like I can't sustain this. They're really sort of simple sentences that help you to figure out um, what intensity you're working at. And the target zone that we're looking at during pregnancy is a 12 to 14, which is obviously doesn't really mean anything if you're not looking at the scale, but it's a somewhat hard intensity. So somewhat hard. So yeah, I feel like I'm working, but I feel like I can continue for you know a set period of time. You don't want to be working for a intensely for more than about half an hour, 45 minutes during pregnancy, again, due to the overheating and risk of dehydration. But can I sustain this for this amount of time? Am I, am I feeling like I'm able to sustain this intensity for this, the amount of time that I'm hoping to work out for? So basically this scale, it's all about listening to your body, which is so important all the time, but definitely important during pregnancy. So it allows you to adjust the intensity of your workouts, depending on how you're feeling on that day, because obviously some days women feel better than women feel better than they do on other days during their pregnancy. But it also means you can adjust your intensity of your workouts as your pregnancy progresses and potentially your physical fitness and your actual comfort levels change as well. So even though you, you know, your heart rate might still be well below 140 or well above 140, you can look and think, okay, I'm still working somewhat hard. And then as you get towards later pregnancy and you're carrying more weight, you're feeling, you know, a bit achy, a bit heavy, a bit more unbalanced on your feet, then you might think, oh, I'm working a little bit harder. Maybe it's time to tone it back and mean that my walk around the block, I shortened by 10 minutes or something like that. So it's all about modifying and it gives women the confidence to be able to do that without having to monitor their heart rate and without having to obsessively check something throughout the workout. It's all about just listening to their body as much as possible. So in your view, why is a set um, target heart rate not appropriate for monitoring exercise intensity in all women then? Yeah. So as I said before, I think it's too much of a one size fits all approach. So it's 
taking into account, it's basically assuming that all women working at 140 beats per minute are exerting the same amount of energy and effort. So someone who's previously quite sedentary and in early pregnancy and thinking, okay, maybe it's time to get a bit more active, a bit more fit so that I'm feeling good during my pregnancy, their 140 beats per minute might kick in quite soon. And so they aren't working or they feel like they're working a lot harder to achieve the 140 beats per minute, which may not necessarily be safe for them and their baby. Whereas if you have someone who's previously very fit, very active, you know, marathon runner, loves going for five, 10K runs every week, that's that person might find that 140 beats, beats per minute is an absolute breeze and they want to work harder than that during pregnancy. So it's all about individualizing it to the woman and to her unique situation. So what I'm hearing, the Borg scale allows women to monitor their exercise intensity without having to track their heart rate during workouts. And the Borg scale is all about listening to your body. So using that scale means you can adjust the intensity of your workout so it feels like um, you're working too hard or not, not, not hard enough and or based on those numbers. And you can also modify your workouts as um, your pregnancy progresses and your fitness levels and your comfort levels change. Is, is that right? Absolutely. Absolutely. And it's, it's, it sounds a little bit tricky because we're not look physically looking at a Borg scale as I'm talking to you, but if you were to look one up, simple Google search and you'll find one and you're looking for that 12 to 14, somewhat hard. And you look at the descriptors and it's pretty, it's pretty self-explanatory once you have a look at it that you can think, all right, somewhat hard. It's, it's not easy. It's not moderate. It's not too intense. I'm sitting sort of there. As I said, the talk test as well. And the book scale gives women a far more accurate idea of how hard they should be working um, in their in their workouts during pregnancy. Is that right? Absolutely, absolutely, because it's giving them real time information. Okay, I feel like I'm working at a little bit too high in intensity right now, so I'll take it back a notch. And it's giving them, yeah, it's far more accurate than looking at your watch and you know smart tracker on your watch and thinking, you know, oh, I'm at 120. I can push it a bit harder, even though you're puffing, you're sweating, you're red in the face, you're, you're really needing a rest. It's stopping, it's stopping you from going too intensely. And as you mentioned earlier, you know, the heart rate response um, uh, to exercise varies considerably between women and throughout pregnancy. Um, and is there anything else you can tell us about this? Because I understand the whole cir- circulatory system, the heart, the blood vessels, the arteries and the veins will ch- change early on in pregnancy to support the, the, the needs of the mother and baby. But these changes may begin as early as week sort of four or five and may peak yes. during the second and third trimesters. And these change, um, I understand, tell me if this is wrong, but these changes can cause a heart rate response to increase initially during early pregnancy and will sort of yes. gradually fall during later on in pregnancy so um yeah I just wanted to know your thoughts on on that in particular yeah absolutely so yes so often there's a phenomenon that we talked about last time we chatted known as underfill and basically your blood volume increases quite significantly um, during the early stages of pregnancy and this is your body's circulatory system adjusting to your pregnancy hormones which is causing dilation of blood vessels and ultimately we are carrying more blood in our um in our bodies, but our blood vessels haven't yet adapted. And that's what causes a lot of our morning morning sickness symptoms and nausea and fatigue and things like that. And so during this time, your heart rate increases in order to get that blood around the body effectively. And so you feel like you're working harder, but not doing as much. Like a lot of women who are very early on in their pregnancy will say, you know, oh, I'm already exhausted. I'm already puffed out. 
and I'm, you know, I'm barely, you know, a month or two in. Um, but as, as you progress in your pregnancy, your circulatory system adapts to what's happening in the mm. body. And this, this phenomenon of underfill will settle down after sort of the end of the first trimester. That's why a lot of the um, initial morning sickness symptoms will subside at the end of the first trimester, start of the second. Um, so this is similar with your heart rate. So all of those circulatory system responses generally sort of even out and adjust and then things get a little bit more normal during the um, second and third trimester. But obviously towards the end of the pregnancy, your heart rate will increase again because you're effectively working harder to do things because you're carrying more weight, you're carrying more fluid, things like that. So yes, in the end, you are effectively working harder when you're doing less, I suppose. Of course. So, I mean, during pregnancy, are there any exercises that a a pregnant woman should avoid? I think the main things are being mindful of your pelvic floor. So, um, a lot of people think that pelvic floor exercises and, a, a, you know, pelvic floor strengthening, things like that all happens in the postnatal period, but it's really important to be doing your pelvic floor exercises every day during your period, your pregnancy. Um, and so that's really important. And any exercises like running, as I talked about earlier, if you are noticing leaking or heaviness or dragging sensations, things like that during your exercises or during your workouts, it is a sign that you're probably putting a little bit too much pressure on your pelvic floor. So it's important to tone that one back. Um, and it's all about being being mindful of your symptoms and how your body's feeling. So things like deep squats, um, wide legs, like sumo squats, we call them. So if you've got any issues issues with your lower back, your sacrum or any pelvic pain, things like that can generally aggravate your symptoms. Anything like asymmetrical leg movements, like lots of um, stairs, walking, treadmills, running, anything with that, your legs doing different things at different times, basically, that can set off um, yeah, your pubic symphysis pain, your pelvic pain, things like that as well. So it's all about being guided by if you do have pain, especially any sort of musculoskeletal pain or even a diagnosis of that, if you've been diagnosed during your pregnancy, which is completely common, completely normal, um, you really need to monitor your um, the exercises that you do during your workouts for that reason as well. A lot of women also um, experience carpal tunnel sy- syndrome during their pregnancy. So in the wrists where they get pins and needles in their hands and their fingers, and that's really common because we're carrying excess fluid during our pregnancy as well. So if you're experiencing that, anything on your hands and knees, any sort of weight bearing through your hands can really irritate that, those symptoms because you're hand is in sort of that position so something you can do instead is do everything on your knuckles so you can push up on your knuckles or do your four-point kneel exercises on your knuckles things like that that can help with your symptoms cool so what are some um safe exercises you can suggest during pregnancy then so i think the most important thing is to make sure you're doing a really good warm-up and cool down um to start with and to finish off as well um really the cool down is really important as well just to make sure that you're not overheating excuse me and that your body is recovering after exercise and you know you really want to make sure that you're preventing injuries there as well um in terms of exercises to do there's really no limit into what you can do provided you are feeling well provided you don't have pain and you're not experiencing any symptoms so walking is the absolute greatest exercise i can recommend 
as a physio for anyone, um, so especially during walking, and it's especially great if um, you're new to exercise as well and you're just you're just trying to keep active and stay active as best you can during pregnancy, um, especially towards the end of pregnancy when you really don't feel like doing much. Walking is the way to go. The only time I wouldn't recommend walking is, as I said, if you have any sort of pelvic pain or pubic pain where you're finding that walking is really aggravating. Um, obviously, don't do it if it causes pain, but if it feels good, then walking is my number one recommendation. Um, lots of strengthening exercises as well so again a lot of women are afraid to use things like hand weights during pregnancy but if you think about it once you have this baby you're going to be lifting the baby all the time you know lifting to change nappies and things like that so you really want to make sure that your arms are strong to be able to lift baby and do things with baby so hand weights are great and it's, it doesn't have to be heavy. So you can do a couple of kilo hand weights and just doing really simple upper limb exercises. So your bicep curls, your punches, things like that. Um, just to make sure that you are in the best possible shape. So I think a lot of people are trying to exercise to get in the best possible position for birth. But once you've given birth, you then have a baby that you have to care for. So you really got to make sure that you're in the best physical fitness to be able to deal with um, a newborn baby at the same time. So arm strengthening exercises are fantastic, as well as leg strengthening exercises too. So things like squats, um, again, don't make them too deep, don't make them too wide, but things like squats are really good at strengthening those leg muscles because the more physical fit you are the better your body is going to be equipped for labor which you know is a, a very long process and a very exhausting process so the stronger and the physically fitter you're feeling the better your body is able to cope with those demands fantastic and earlier on you're mentioning about pelvic floor so i mean could you maybe just run through with us your top five things that every woman needs to know about her pelvic floor for example what it does you know why it's okay. important yep. and how to do pelvic floor exercises correctly because i mean that's another whole conversation in itself <laughs> but Absolutely. as an introduction um yes yeah so I think a lot of women know of their pelvic floor and a lot of women know that it's important and it's something they need to do, but not a lot of women know much more than that. So your pelvic floor is basically a sling of muscles that runs from your pubic bone at the front of your pelvis. It runs along and then connects towards your tailbone at the back of your pelvis. So it sits like a sling and basically it supports our pelvic organs. So that's our bladder, our bowel and our uterus, of course, as well. And so those pelvic floor muscles, they enclose around the openings to these organs. So we've got our urethra, which connects to our bladder. We've got our vagina, which connects to our uterus. And we've got our rectum, which connects to our bowels. And so when these pelvic floor muscles are strong and working properly, they will squeeze and have enough tension and strength to be able to close these openings so that, you know, we're not leaking when we walk and sneeze and cough and run. And we're able to hold in, hold in our bowels until we, it's time to go to the toilet. And so I think that's the most important thing to actually know what they are and what they do. They have a lot more function as well. So they're involved in sexual function. They're involved in they're involved in just all of our pelvic health. So they have a lot of roles, but the main one is obviously to support those pelvic organs. And so how to do the exercises correctly, as you said, it's another conversation in itself. But I think the most important thing to remember is that if you imagine that it is they're effectively the pelvic floor muscles are effectively closing those openings we need to think of it as a squeeze and lift so the most important thing you can do is to imagine that you are squeezing and lifting those muscles and the best prompts i can give you here is to imagine that you're holding in a fart or imagine that you're on the toilet and you're trying to stop the flow of urine so 
that squeeze and lift is a way to know that you're doing it properly. The most important thing is not to be bearing down and pushing down because that can cause problems and cause the opposite effect. So I always recommend getting checked out by a women's health physio to make sure you are doing your pelvic floor exercises correctly. And there are obviously some pelvic floor conditions as well where doing strengthening exercises can be a little bit detrimental and have the opposite effect. So don't always assume that pelvic floor exercises are the best possible thing for you. But that said, for pregnancy, I would definitely recommend doing them every day. There are a few different types that you can do, but focusing on that squeeze and lift and being able to hold that contraction um, is really important to be able to strengthen those muscles and stop things like leaking. So that will look up, that will look after you in the postnatal period as well once you've had the baby. Um, even if you do have a cesarean delivery, if you don't have a vaginal birth, remember that you've still got babies sitting on your pelvic floor for nine months and that's you know a bowling ball sitting on your pelvic floor. So that's a lot of weight. And your pelvic floor will be weakened as a result of pregnancy. So it's really important to do those strengthening exercises throughout pregnancy and after pregnancy as well, after giving birth. Wonderful. Um, it, it, as you mentioned earlier on, it's uh, pelvic floor exercises isn't something that you have to wait till after um, after pregnancy. It's something that we need to be sort of doing on a daily basis to strengthen the pelvic floor during pregnancy. Which Every has, woman should be doing their pelvic floor exercises every day. <laughs> Absolutely. I've actually got um, a book next to my bed at the moment <laughs> on pelvic floor that I'm reading um, with a, a, a pelvic floor physiotherapist, Sue Croft, that I um, interviewed a few weeks ago. It is, it's really quite fascinating. Um, so, yeah. <laughs> but thank you for, for that reminder that we need to be doing this on a daily basis, um, even before and during pregnancy also. Um, but I'd love to know from your perspective, what are the important health checks that women should have um, for every stage of life? So I think I think definitely getting your pelvic floor checked is very important. So mm -hmm. that's something that I always recommend after having a baby. So after about six weeks, so a lot of women get a postpartum check at about six weeks if they've had stitches and things like that. But I really recommend going and actually seeing a women's health physio and getting a good thorough assessment to check that everything is healing well and to check that your pelvic floor muscle contractions are improving. That's something that isn't you know, mandatory in Australia um, or, you know, isn't really regularly recommended, but it is something that is definitely recommended by physios because it is hugely beneficial. In terms of other health checks, not just for pregnancy, but in all stages of life, I think that breast checks are incredibly, incredibly important as well. So I heard a stat recently that during the whole COVID pandemic of this year, um, breast cancer diagnoses have gone down by 30%. And initially that sounds good but 30% is a significant change and ultimately it's reflective of the fact that women aren't going and getting their regular breast checks um, and they're not going to the doctors like they normally are because of that fear of infection. So it's something that we really need to be monitoring, especially at the moment um, when we aren't getting access to those healthcare services like we normally are. Um, and I always recommend getting, you know, checking your breasts yourself for lumps every single month um, I like to tee it up with a stage of your menstrual cycle because your breast can change a little bit throughout. Um, so it's important to say on the first day of your period just to check to make sure that everything feels the same as it did the month before. And if you do notice anything strange or different to the month before to really go and get that checked out by the doctor as well because that as I said the 30% drop in diagnoses isn't a positive it's a, a worrying sign that the numbers will spike again once things return to normal. 
Yes, absolutely. Um, I've heard so many people say um, the hospitals themselves, um, many of the hospitals have been sort of quite quiet where they would be sort of yeah. emergency wards and all those types of things would be sort of quite quite busy just purely because absolutely. people are trying to avoid um, obviously any um, exposure to, to the virus. So mm. um, this has been a really great chat um, as always, Rach. If you were to summarise, I guess, your key messages for anyone watching and listening, what would they be? Yeah, so I think I think ultimately it's being understanding that we don't need to be on bed rest for the entire nine months of pregnancy, as you said. Um, you know, when you're pregnant, you're not broken, you're not sick, you don't have a condition, you are pregnant. And so if you're feeling well and if you have been all cleared and you're medically clear to be able to exercise during pregnancy, then it offers huge, huge benefits. It puts your body in the best possible position for pregnancy, for labor and beyond. And so it's really something that offers huge benefits to both mum and baby. Um, and that said, I guess being mindful that we don't need to intensely monitor our heart rate during exercise when we're pregnant anymore. It's all about listening to your body. Remember the Borg scale. You want to be working at somewhat hard intensity. And if that feels a little bit too complicated for you, think of the talk test. If you can't maintain a conversation when you're exercising, you're working too hard. If you're sweating, if you're hot and red in the face and puffed out, you're working too hard. Your body will tell you when you're working too hard. So you just need to make sure that you're listening to the messages that it's sending you. Yes, and to listen to your body and to stop exercising immediately and consult your doctor before even wanting to start exercising um, when you're pregnant and then, of course, if you're feeling unwell during exercise. And or in, Absolutely. As, as in your article, you do list a whole heap of different um, experiences that women um, may yes. have. For example, for example, bleeding, regular pain, um, contractions, or you know any sign of preterm labour, um, any severe pubic or back pain, um, shortness of breath, um, especially. And you you mentioned this in the article, especially if you know you were experiencing sort of shortness of breath before exercising, any chest or stomach pain, calf pain or swelling. Of course, if you're feeling dizzy, um, and and as you suggested, you know walking is is probably the best um, exercise for any pregnant woman um, but if she's having difficulty walking in any muscle weakness that's affecting balance of course all of these things you need to speak to your doctor about um, and of course if absolutely you, if you notice the baby has reduced movement um, after exercising um, and of course we yeah. know that women are very tired um, during pregnancy but if they're experiencing extreme tiredness all of these things um, as mentioned and as listed in your article which of course we'll have a link to in the show notes um, you need to consult your doctor immediately so if anyone's got any questions for you Rach whereabouts can they find you yeah, so I'm over on Instagram at Mana Women's Wellness. You can find me there. Always happy to answer a DM and have a chat if you've got any questions. Um, I also have a podcast, the Mana Women's Wellness podcast, where we go really deep into all things pregnancy, periods, pelvic floor. We talk about a lot of these topics on there as well. So give that a listen too. Wonderful, Rachel. We'll have all of those links in the show notes. Thanks again for the chat and look forward to, to catching up again in the not too distant future. But until then, uh, stay, stay safe, stay well and speak to you soon. See you later. I'm Rachel Monteleone and you've been listening to Kittypedia, the podcast. You can have full access to Kittypedia by visiting our website at kittypedia.com.au or following us on Facebook, Instagram, Twitter and YouTube. We're all here to help make the world a better place for our children and for generations to come. 
You can start today by helping us reach other parents by going to Apple Podcast, subscribe, rate, and review this podcast. Thank you for listening and be sure to give my love to the kids. Bye.